Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELFM. It's radio for so much more. to the Vandal Factory Radio Show. My name's Natalie Quatermass. And I'm Henry Raby. And together we are Vandal Vandal Factory. Factory. This is the radio show on East Leeds FM where we look at artists, we look at activists, we look at politics and how those wonderful, gorgeous worlds shall meet. Henry Raby, how is your hope and how is your anger? Well, I'm feeling quite hopeful because this is our 10th episode. And they said a theatre director and a poet <laughs> could never be friends. They could never n- make they it. They could never make it. But here we are, 10 oh, episodes down. It's also our 10-year ten, ten friendship anniversary Yeah, this month, sort of. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, it dragged on a bit, hasn't yeah. it? 10 years. Anywho... Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Um, I'm feeling a, a bit of a swell of hope in, genuinely because I think there's some interesting campaigns the don't pay campaign enough yeah. is enough I feel like there's a sort of swelling of people that are just quite frustrated with what's happening uh, yeah. and I feel like I, I was a bit surprised it didn't happen a bit more out of the pandemic but I feel like this mm. is the galvanising where we're catching up on two years of getting together and we're going to talk more about yeah. people getting together in a room organised together like putting the world to rights and sorting it out. So, yeah, I'm feeling good. a bit of hope for that. What about you, Natalie Quatermass? How's your hope slash and or anger? Oh, I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel nothing anymore other than panic or hunger. And that's, that's it. Or I'm tired. Hungry for change. Yes, hungry for change and tired for oppression yeah um no no i'm all right put blood <laughs> blooded on me no, blooded no. On. i'll be all right one foot in front of the other I'll you know be fine yeah. are we gonna mention the old uh you know the old uh you know the old <laughs> the old <laughs> the old uh no the old the Queen? Yeah. <laughs> it's old news, mate. I know. Well, it happened since our last podcast. Yeah. I so, to, Maybe this says something about it. I was like, oh, maybe it's like more a greater political statement just to not mention it at all. And then I thought about us in another 10 years time, listening back to episode 10 and going, oh, maybe we would kind of want to know for our future selves, would want to be like, oh, that's the month that the Queen died. For our 20th friendship anniversary. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we'd want to know. Hey, look, like, you know, I'm always sorry that anybody loses anybody. That's really sad. Yeah. Fine. I always need to put that straight up, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you ask most people... How do you feel about billionaire landowners Mm. that have hereditary rights, that have more power, more riches, more luxury Mm. than you? I think most people are like, yeah, I'm not mad mad keen on the silver spoon 1% elite. When it's so the Queen, oh, she's like, oh, Nan running calf down the road, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, good good branding. So I'm, I'm wondering if 
Prince, Ch- I mean, it's a propaganda machine as well. But I wonder if Prince Charles will will get a tougher ride mm. of, of like actually already like I know it's in my little bubble, but there's circulated clips of him just being a bit rude to staff already. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if yeah, there'll be more questions about the validity of of the of monarchy when mm. it's not. A sweet old lady, a sweet yeah. old lady that had a lot of political sway um, yeah, yeah. and uh, and a lot of power over people. But this time when it's an older bloke that has a tendency to get a bit grumpy with people, maybe, maybe we'll have those conversations about uh, abolishing the monarchy. <gasps> you heard no, it I here it. first. You heard it here yeah, first. first. No one else has yeah. suggested <laughs> abolishing the monarchy. Come after you in the night. Yeah. That's the last we saw of Henry. Uh, uh, have you done anything exciting recently? Yeah, so I want to give a shout out to James who does a show here on East Leeds <gasps> FM called The Psycho Show because, Ooh. well, I'm the sort of person that go... You're I'm a psycho, I'm, so I really <laughs> relate to this show. Um, I'm the sort of person who's always like, I, I get, I, I'm on social media all the blooming time. If there's a gig I want to go to, I'll know about it on the old mm. socials, right? But James, word of mouth, goes... There's a gig happening on Tuesday. It's this American band called Soul Glow. James Wordermouth. Is that yeah, his surname? Mr. Wordermouth. <laughs> um, and I said, and I was like, I really like Soul Glow. They're great. I had no idea they were playing. And then I mentioned it to Jake, who runs the ELFM film show. Mm. And uh, Jake was like, oh, I really like Soul Glow. I had no idea they were playing. So ah. there'd been this little spark here in ELFM in this very studio of like, there's this cool like small American band playing who are really fun, amazing hardcore band. So I went to see Soul Glow at the Key Club, but they just came on stage and they just owned it, right? Uh. Barely spoke to the audience, just absolutely smashed through a a tight 35, 40 minute set of this like fast paced political hardcore. And it just made me be like, mint, amazing, like boom, done. That's how, that's how you do it. And uh, yeah, so I was going to play one of their tunes. It's called Jump. Or get jumped by the future.
the chat train is pulling into Nat's provocation station. Yes, listeners, this is a time when I get to hold the show and read something that, or write something or talk about something that provokes you and provokes uh, dear Henry. And in this provocation, I'm going to use Henry's mind palace because um, he, you uh, might I don't not like know. The phrase mind palace, it reminds me of monarchy. And okay. Can I have mind back room of a pub? Yes, you, the, the, the mind cellar. <laughs> Dungeon. Right? Dungeon. Yeah. Um, Henry's, you might not know, because you, you wouldn't get a sense of it on this podcast, but he's very knowledgeable about <laughs> about history of music and art. Um, so I was going to write this piece about um, my current practice, and then I was like, oh, yeah, it's really relevant to all this stuff that I could look up on my own. Or I could just ask Henry about it on the internet. Um, Henry about it on the radio. Uh, well, I guess we are on the internet. Yeah. Right yeah. now. You're my Google. Um, so this is what I'm talking about. My, my like Lots of different projects going on at the moment in this uh, miserable autumn of 2022. And there's three key projects that um, I'm focusing on. Um, and I think it, it is when part when doing a PhD that's practice based, it's really important to sit back and try and look at themes that are arising, and then you can put them into like a wider historical context or a, an academic context. So there's there's bits of work that I want to focus on. The first being this week, um, we are Seacroft, which is a, a collective of local organisations I'm a part of, had a meeting about what our response was going to be to um, the cost of living crisis. Um, and so you've got reverends, local councillors, trusts, charities, residents, all different people in the room going, what have we got as a collective? Like what's already in our arm armoury, uh, to use another kind of, castle word um where are our warm spaces what are we where's the food that we're already providing where's the mental health support and also um and then also um what's the word pooling in all our different resources and contacts in terms of like where are the helplines where are the where can people go to get support and to make sure that we're giving out the same information and we're all singing from the same hymn sheet so albeit quite depressing reasons to have to come together but um it's great that it it happens and that organization is has come out of um people kind of just wanting to work together in a really organic way so that's we are seacroft stuff and then there's um the forum which is coming up on the 22nd of october which is through climate action seacroft resident-led um volunteers taking climate action in here in Seacroft and we'll be coming here to Chapel FM Arts Centre and doing a big celebration of all the environmental climate projects that are going on already in our town and and also then organising again and being like well what else do we need and what's missing we did one of these back in February and it was brilliant because we sort of combined it with it being in an art space but and, and me being the 
background in theatre. So I wanted performances. I wanted stalls and activities. And it was recorded. So we were live on the radio, which kind of gives it an energy. And then we're discussing and and people are like putting their hands up and, and dropping in more information and facts and stuff. So it's a real way of like a community coming together to sort stuff out. And what's brilliant is things that we talked about back in uh, February also have come to pass. So this one in, that's coming up in October will be a really good opportunity to kind of look back and go, oh, wow, someone had that idea back then and then we made it happen. Cool. Um, and then the third thing is the Home From Home project, which mm. I have the great privilege of directing a community theatre piece. Mm-hmm. So, Henry, as you know, during the summer months, East Leeds FM was... Uh, going out with all their community mm-hmm. broadcasters and collecting stories about people's home from home, mm-hmm. which is the spaces and places that really we were kept from during the lockdown and and for all sorts of reasons mm. that were, were kept away um, while they're, when they're not accessible mm. to everyone. And this is an opportunity for us to listen to those audio stories and to bring them to life on stage. Um, with a community cast, which mm-hmm. is going to be really exciting. So we're going to use storytellers and music and audio and performance and writers and mash it all together to make a show happen. Isn't uh, that cool? It is going to be cool. And within that is about creating a new home from home space. This idea of yeah, how you, here. Th- that space, <laughs> yeah, it's not just a physical space, but it's about the project itself, yeah. the, the reason for being to belong to come. Because you can come and sit here in the cafe if you want, but actually it's what makes a space is that like coming and being a part of something and bringing your music or your writing or just your curiosity, yeah, um, which is cool. And I think I think it's that's cool. e- exactly what you're t- tapping into. My next question mm. is when I look at these, when I have to do this sitting back and looking at my practice, mm. I try and look at themes that are coming up and going, okay, I wear a lot of different hats and do different stuff. Um, but what's the commonality between all of this? And creating a sense of space and home and ownership and where mm. collective organising can happen um, in different means. Like mm. there's three different, like in a kind of quite professional um, people working for organisation sort of setting in mm. a community, like bit more ragtag, lively, fun sort of setting and then a, a production, a theatre where there's going to be an ongoing process that will mm. last for six months that's all people coming together mm. to solve problems and to to stand shoulder to shoulder with each other. Um, so then I was going to ask you more about um, times in history when when we've been kept from from organising or where we've where that's been a political um, hot point of that that organising, coming together has been really essential. And I know you're the one to go to, particularly if they're creative or where arts had an influence over this. I'm, I'm really interested in that. So I'm going to take you back to 1817. You love the 1817s. I love <laughs> I love the past yeah. and, and, and radicalisation in the 1800s. So um, the country was on the brink of revolution, right? Mm. There was constant uprisings protests fight for not only suffrage but for just basic human rights and mm-hmm. decency against 
uh, a, uh, a government. Ring it, ring a bell. Yeah. And uh, so. 1817, Parliament passes the Seditious Meetings Act, which made it illegal to hold meetings of over 50 people. And it allowed, it outlawed groups which called for, quote, confiscation and division of the land, which is basically common land, which is saying um, if you if you want to discuss how actually the land should belong to the many people and everyone should be able to, to, to mm. live and farm and fish and walk and roam, and hunt on these lands that's illegal you're not allowed to meet and do that on a more artistic level two years later government passed the newspaper and stamp duties act 1819 right which is a direct response to the rise of pamphlets newspapers and books so as the country is becoming more literate movements like the chartists are producing writing literature uh, which include poems and songs and images which are seditious so they are they are banned. They uh, or at least it it limits it controls how much of that goes out to the world, which we touched on in episode nine. A little bit more recent in uh, in recent memory is uh, post nineteen eighties Thatcher Britain in the nineties. What you get is this whole movie. <laughs> bit of a jump there from there. <laughs> and there was nothing else. Sorry, yeah, there's no other else. examples um, in the rest of history. But what you get is a new generation Gen X who are looking for new ways of organising, coming together, and being part of something and being community. And they find it in uh, house movement, in squat movements, in techno movements, in new music and free parties. Mm-hmm. And Thatcher's Britain has gone, everything has a price, everything's commercial, it's about making as much money as you can, climb that ladder and sod the rest of you, Jack. And actually these parties are about going, um, let's let's create a space where it's not about the money, it's about yeah. coming together, it's about having a good time, but also connecting to anti uh, motorway movements, sab- uh, sabotage movements, environmental movements, anti-deforestation movements. And so uh, John Major's response to Prime Minister at the time was the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act, which sought to ban uh, these free raves and gigs, but it also clamped down on antisocial behaviour, which includes direct action and protest. So on the surface, what you have is this, like, all these kids are rocking up and they're taking drugs and having these big parties and it's mm. spoiling the countryside and we need to put a stop to it. But really what these laws do is limit who can meet, who can organise and who can take action in 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 a sort of post-Thatcher's Britain where trade unionism has been clamped yeah. down through theirs laws. And, and the response is um, music like The Prodigy and Pop Will Eat Itself. They release the song Their Law, Dread Zone, Fight the Power. Uh, uh, Six Six Records release a compilation album. Electronic music duo uh, Autisher. I'm sure I'll get like emails being like, that's not how you pronounce Autisher, Autisher. I don't know. Release the Anti-EP, which has a song called Flutter, uh, which uses uh, 65 distinctive drum patterns, which... Um, uh, meant that it was legal under the uh, under the the repetitive beats part of the act, right? <laughs> so they advised uh, the the EP advised DJs to have a lawyer and a musicologist present to confirm the non repetitive nature of the music in the event of police harassment. Um, <laughs> and profits from the uh, release were donated to the pressure group Liberty. So there's, lo- I mean, you know, this yeah, is just the tip of the iceberg. Just Google it, right? Yeah. Just, you know. um, but these are just examples where, like, the state has seen movements groups of people organization and gone um you know it's never an outright an outright 
ban. You can still you 50 couldn't peop- possibly yeah, do that. Yeah, fifty people can still meet, or 49. you know, um, yeah, for you know, get forty nine together. Or you can still listen yeah. to this music. You just can't do it in this way out yeah. outdoors in a free party. And we're seeing that now with the new laws that uh, well, she's not the Home Secretary anymore. That Priti Patel was bringing in, which the um, which are like bill. you can still protest. Yeah. We're not banning protest. We're just banning annoying mm-hmm. protest. Yeah. <laughs> so we we just tighten those screws. We tighten those definitions a little bit and and obviously we're not going to be doing any uh sabotage or uprisings <laughs> with these projects we're talking about but it is about looking at it's good to frame it in that yeah. it is it is good to frame it in that way though because i think it's easy to like tr- tr- trundle along and not really realize that that's what you're doing and um why that is a threat and why state the state has seen that as a threat um throughout history and and continues to do so and and yeah and that gives me hope actually henry that stops me feeling dead inside because that makes me go well it must be worthwhile if it's annoying (laughs) (laughs) if they don't like it it must be worthwhile we must be doing something right and i'm gonna keep on thinking and working out what's what's good about that I think this is the time of the show, a good time for us to go springing into my banger of the hour. Because every single song you own is a banger. It's time for Nat's banger of the hour. Bangers? Is it a banger? Yes, it is a banger. I can confirm, inspired by Henry's little history lesson from the 1870s to the late 90s. Uh, we're going to listen to Firestarter by the Prodigy.
Starter by the Prodigy. What hey, an absolute hey, hey, banger. Hey, hey, hey. Absolute. I was there, Henry, in the early 90s, in the woods, in a field, with fluorescent woolly hats and a boob tube and, <laughs> and tie-dye tops. Oh, the past. Ah, the generation before us. Yeah. <laughs> Loving it. Um, so, I remember... Uh, uh, watching the video for it when I was like eight years old and being a bit scared by the video. Scared. Yeah, a bit scared. Yeah. And you know what else scares me? What? The rise of fascism. Oh, yeah. So I uh, had the absolute pleasure of um, performing at an event commemorating the Battle of Stockton, which was um, when the fascist black shirts marched in Stockton in 1933 and they were told to go away in no uncertain terms. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was an absolutely glorious, lovely event and I caught up with uh, Sharon Bailey, who's part of the campaign, and you're going to hear a little chat I had with her. What's the campaign? The Battle of Stockton campaign. Oh, right. Oh, I see. (laughs) Hello, Sharon. Thanks for joining the show. How are you doing? Hi, Henry. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm I'm brilliant. Not many guests ask me how I'm doing, so thank you for taking the time <laughs> to do that. Um, so Sharon, you are part of the Battle of Stockton campaign group. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the group and your role within the the gang? Yeah, so I suppose I could start right from the beginning in 2017 and how the campaign group was established. So um, it was my eldest son. We we recently been having a discussion about the Battle of Cable Street and its significance um, as fascism was sweeping Europe um, and its significance of the fight against fascism. And he googled and he found an article on the internet on Libcom by the late um, David Marshall and it just explained the Battle of Stockton, the significance of 200 of Oswald Mosley's black shirts marching into Stockton High Street three years before Cable Street, that 2,000 people from Stockton were willing to push back, push back the fascists. And we thought, that's huge. That's massive. I mean, you've you've been to Stockton. It's not a massive town. So 2,000 people on a Sunday tea time waiting to push back 200 people in the jackboots is huge. We thought this this needs to be remembered. So we Googled and Googled and there was nothing. So thought, right, we need to do something about this to put Stockton on the map. Um, it was an event of national significance. Um, so we held a public meeting in September 2017 and about 25 people turned up. And from that point, um, that's how the campaign group was started. And it, we wanted to commemorate um the Battle of Stockton in two ways. So we thought there should be something physical like a plaque or a mural. So we approached Stockton Borough Council um, 
and they agreed as part of Stockton's Heritage Trail as a brass plaque in the high street near the town hall commemorating the Battle of Stockton. And we decided that an event should take place annually around the 10th of September, which is when the Battle of Stockton happened in 1933. Um, and we wanted it not only to commemorate that, the, the fight against fascism, um, and what fascism tries to do is to divide the working class, to pitch groups of people against each other. So we wanted to commemorate that event itself, but also to bring the communities together, all, all the communities in, in Teesside together. And we thought to do that with speakers, music, poetry um, and drama. That, that was the way to do it. The event that I went to was such a beautiful party atmosphere. Um, it felt not just a gig, but a real celebration of history, but like present movement. I think sometimes on the left, we can get a little bit bogged down in our, our history and legacy. And it's important to remember the past. But what I thought was also really important was as well as the past, it was about where we are now and where we are as, as, as a movement, as a working class going forward. Do you often think about that when you're programming speakers and artists and how to do that balance of... I think we've got to do that because we learn from our past. And the event this year, one of the first speakers was a local historian, Martin Pegum. Um, he's known locally as the time traveller. And he did an amazing piece about the history. And I think that is important. But yeah, there are other elements and it's it's how we get that message across today. And, and you were at the event this year and we had a children's workshop and they made a banner and they did a banner drop. And for me, that was one of the most moving parts of the event because we were engaging children. We were explaining what the Battle of Stockton was and what it actually stood for. So that, that's always at the forefront of our mind when we plan in these events, definitely. And, uh, I wanted to know if there's any big highlights, any special moments. I mean, there must be dozens of them across the years you've been running these these celebration events, but any particular moment that stands out or is it this moment with the children un unveiling a banner? Um, I had a little discussion with the campaigners um, before the interview this evening. Um, and one of the biggest things was that the that stuck in all of our minds was the unveiling of the plaque in the first year that the commemoration started in 2018 that was huge um but yes for me this year it was the banner drop um for, with the children and I think you also mentioned Joe Solos um when he sang we shall overcome and the whole of the theater just burst into song and and you could feel the unity and, and the solidarity and that was so moving so that that was definitely a highlight um there's so many every year so many um we do have joe solo as has been in attendance every year since the campaign started um but yeah resident resident musician yes he, he is he is definitely and um, uh yeah i wondered like it's felt like it, like a place for families, obviously young people were there, but there was also stalls from different activist groups. And I wondered how the campaign like keeps the people connected, like um, in, in, I guess in Stockton, from your experience, is there, you know, there's a lot of communication between groups rather than just going, oh, we're doing our thing over here. So if you want to come, you buy a ticket. 
um but yeah. it was all connected up it, it we are all connected um and there, we had um positive disability action um and northeast against racism there this year um and there was also a group of activists from newcastle who were there to commemorate the passing of a, a young activist ewan brown and that kept him his memory alive but i think especially with northeast against racism we, we're all connected we attend their events they attend our events so there is a, a, a network around Teesside and the northeast the first event after covid period or did you manage to put something on over over the last couple of years yeah, so the first event was 2018, um, the second in 2019 live events. But we did want to carry on something during COVID. Um, and that was the time when Zoom meetings and and they were just everywhere. And we wanted to do something a little bit different. So we actually filmed an event um, with speakers. We travelled to London to film David Rosenberg doing a speech um we also filmed Marlene Sidaway in London um who she was part of the event and lots of activists in the campaign group were part of that event we even um filmed a local musician Fraser Lambert um and his choir singing in the Georgian um, near the Georgian theatre in the Green Dragon Yard in Stockton um and that took so much work. We had to do risk assessments and put markers where each singer could stand. But we did, we wanted to carry that on. Um, and that's still available to, to watch online as well. I suppose, what does the future hold? Or, uh, do you, and I, I know you've just done one, so you might be like, oh, Henry, we're not planning, not doing the planning just yet. Or are you just like straight into the next planning and phases of where you want to take the campaign? Pretty much because it's the 90th anniversary next year. So we did want to, to make the event even bigger. Um, it, obviously, it's in the, it's very early stages of planning. But yeah, it will be a bigger event next year. I guess if anyone wants to find out about it, I mean, I guess Google exists so people can give it a Google. But it, do you hold like regular meetings is the ways people might get be able to get involved if they live up in Teesside? Absolutely. So our, our main kind of ways of communication are through Facebook and Instagram at the moment we are working on a website but we do receive lots of messages um, via the Facebook page so if anybody does want to get involved more the merrier. And my final question is obviously it's an event that features music very strongly and here on East Leeds FM we love good music so can you suggest a song for us to play on the radio? It was a song that was specifically written for the Battle of Stockton by a local musician, Fraser Lambert, and it's September 1933. Back into a corner 
This is Apollo 21, do you read me? This is Houston, go ahead. Houston, we have a problem. We appear to have lost all contact with Special Commander Raby. Repeat, he has become completely unresponsive. This is Houston. Do not worry about Commander Raby. He's doing his own thing. 
That's right, folks. Here I am doing my own thing, by which I mean reading out a poem. So this is very much a work in progress draft. It's just something I'm playing around with. Um, but does that mean I get to direct you, give you edits, give you notes? I thought you were going to say, is that okay if I rip it to pieces? Yeah, that too. Yeah. So I mean, you do that to long-standing poems anyway. No, so. if it's a no. long-standing poem, no. I let you get through it. But... And then, and then rip it to pieces. Yeah. So, um, I. I wanted to write this poem about youth culture's resistance to fascism and specifically uh, German resistance to Nazism. And a little part of it because my my gran was German and I'm not saying that she was like a resistance fighter in Nazi Germany, but I often think about ordinary people living under fascism. And I also think that sometimes we assume that fascism is like a, a, a... a mad bloke standing on a platform, like waving his arms around and it's the iron boot. It's like 1984 forever and ever until it gets sold. But actually fascism is an ideology that creeps into mainstream narratives. It's about um, duty to the nation state. It's about division and it talk, and, it, and, and t- it creeps into talk and language and narratives about immigration, family, normality and um, power. And so this is about how young people resisted in 1930s Germany. Um, And it starts with a quote, right? So what the Nazis did was they had an exhibition about uh, black and Jewish music. And it was like, this is this is bad art. You shouldn't you shouldn't. Get involved with this. This uh, is they really, bad stuff. They really lost that argument, didn't they? They did. And people would go to see it to be like, this is cool. Yeah. Uh, So it starts with a quote. What's been gathered together in this exhibition constitutes the portrayal of a true witch's Sabbath and the most frivolous spiritual, artistic, cultural Bolshevism and a portrayal of the triumph of subhumanity, of arrogant Jewish insolence and a total spiritual senile dementia. I mean, sign me up, right? That sounds Mm -hmm. great. I'll I'll book a ticket. Sprechen Sie English. In Vienna, in Hamburg, we're off dancing tonight. Brother, slip back your blonde hair, sister, march out with hair long. Your allies are lipstick, nail polish, dazzle like a Hollywood star. Cause last week I queued to see Himmler's flick, throwing shade at the Lindy Hop. Don't you know that degenerate art is the best art? It'll be fine, I promise. We've got a lookout on the roof, the street corner, a lookout at the door. I want to jive with you across that dance floor. I want to show you the Charleston. I want to get sweaty, not like a long march or endless parade, but dancing tonight. Do you know who joins the Hitler Jugend? Dweebs. <laughs> who joins the Bund Dusche Mädel? Losers. Who joins the Idelweiss Piraten? Legends. Idlewise pirates, hikers, campers, plucking crag-clinging mountain flowers, working class dropouts, draft dodgers, deserters, hidden, Jews defended, bricks thrown, spray cans painting, mixed gender song singers, criminals executed. Today Sophie walks as calm as a traitor can. Sophie is loyal to the laws that matter. Suitcase skids against her legs, under the eyes of authorities ignoring a mere girl. Sophie thinks of the thousands of stamps, the legions of rationed paper and envelopes, dispatched across the country, handwritten, handpicked. They must be everywhere, the authorities whisper. The Visa Rosen, the White Rose. 
At the university, Sophie shoves a stack of pamphlets over the side of the central hall staircase and they flutter into hundreds of hands like hilltop snow. Less than a day later, Sophie will be interrogated for 17 hours. Four days later, she will be sentenced to death. Five months later, the Allies will smuggle out, copy and drop the white rose pamphlet across Germany. Like white petals in a gust, words will read. The German name will remain forever tarnished unless finally the German youth stands up, pursues both revenge and atonement, smites our tormentors and founds a new intellectual Europe. Has potential. <laughs> like, like you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growing like a little white, like a little white like rose. Like a little white rose. A little white rose. Um, something I should mention is today, October the 4th, is the anniversary of the Battle of Cable Street. So a little bit of a anti-fascist theme going on today. Mm-hmm. I don't have the running order in front of me. Oh, dear. I think you're going into an, our second interview. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we caught up with Hetty from Pigfoot Theatre, who uh, are a great bunch of ecological environmentalist warriors. And we're going to hear a little bit about their projects right now. Thank you so much for joining us on this uh, autumnal Sunday afternoon. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be chatting. You've uh, you've just told us you're, you've just come back from doing a show, Hot and Here. Yeah, so we've just opened Hot and Here this week. We did a couple of previews um, in Camden in London um, and then went off to Theatre by the Lake in Keswick for free shows, which was amazing. Um, and then we're back this week in Camden for a few nights before we head off on tour going to 11 venues. Uh, very exciting. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to see it. In uh, You're coming to Slunglow on the 28th yes. of October. Yes, and you're going to the York Theatre Royal, I saw at some point. Yeah, on next next weekend, next Saturday, the 8th. Oh, great, the 8th. I'm yeah. giving plug, be there, be square. We'll definitely have some, some pals go into that show. For people who are wanting to buy a ticket, what is Hot in Here about? Yeah, so it's a brand new show. Like, this is the first time it has ever been filmed. We literally made it over the past month. Um, So we made Hot In Here from conversations with climate activists from around the world, um, predominantly in countries most affected by the climate crisis. Um, So in over over 20 countries um, and 30 climate activists. Um, And the show's sort of grown to explore the UK's place within the global climate crisis. So how a UK uh, person can relate uh, to global climate injustice and also um, take climate action in solidarity with and against yeah climate injustice that's taking place uh globally um we've devised the show and um, we did an r&d a couple of years ago for the show um and but have been sort of devising it with three performers and a team of creatives over the past year um it's sort of like very multidisciplinary quite like joyful We've got lots of video sound and stuff um very joyful uh it's powered in part by an energy generating dance floor where the movement of our performers bodies powers lights for the show uh which has been an interesting process but really exciting one as well um yeah that's that's oh. a show. <laughs> i have so many follow-up questions um, I think first and foremost, it has to be tell us more about this this energy generating dance machine of magic. 
Yeah, so we uh, 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 make theatre about the climate crisis with as low a carbon impact as possible, but also sort of think of interesting ways in which we can integrate uh, sustainability into performance. So it can mean anything from like all our set and props are recycled and recyclable, like our incredible uh, designer has made the set fully out of cardboard, this like massive set fully out of cardboard, which is incredible, um, which just means it's like so much easier to be recycled. Um, and then also it means things like we often use energy generating technology. Uh, so in our previous show, this looked like a bike that was cycled live on stage. Yeah. Um, but this show we've been looking to create a energy generating dance floor. Um, and so the way that works is basically movement on these tiles up and down uh, is converted into kinetic energy and is able to power us like some lights, not all of the lights, um, but lights for the for the show. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> and what are your your hopes to develop that? I mean, that you suddenly go, what would happen if all our dance clubs and spaces were had this technology in them and they were yeah. self-generating and how cool would that be yeah I mean it would be amazing and um, I our incredible technician and dance floor designer and um, Jack has been on like a long process like through like many different prototypes to try and find the most efficient way and he has like amazing ideas to like develop them more that's like if we have like loads of money which we don't <laughs> um, so I think it's like continued uh, like work in progress as we continue to develop it and work out ways in which we can make it more efficient uh, make it more accessible um, make it more yeah basically make it work in in the most the, the best way uh, possible um so yeah so the dance floor is like a work in progress but is generating light and energy which is so mad like just to watch people move on these tiles and then just see like it created <laughs> in a way that my tiny tiny mind does not understand yeah. me and my co-director was like we're like really cool if we have an energy harvesting dance floor that'd be really cool wouldn't it and then jack this just like incredible technician and lighting designer was just like yeah so i reckon i can do that <laughs> okay <Wow. laughs> and now he hates us <laughs> yeah. you, need, you need to get big book funding from like flares and bar one and i don't know, yeah. I don't know all, all these like big commercial spaces yeah but... literally literally that'd be amazing the um you you casually mentioned before like oh we spoke to 30 climate activists now I know from personal experience that that is going to be a big operation to be especially if you're talking to people across the world yeah. um it might this might be a bit of a nerdy question on my part but like can you tell us a bit more about how how did you choose who to talk to in your research um and and get in contact with them and what was that kind of research process like yeah um yeah, uh, we wanted to make sure that we like included uh, climate activists from like as wide a variety of countries as possible um, and predominantly places that were being like most affected by the climate crisis. Um, mm -hmm. So that's like generally in the global south or nearest the equator um, or countries where it's dangerous to be an uh, environmental defender or a climate activist or a climate advocate. Um, so lots of googling lots of like this is not very good answer lots of social media lots of googling lots of just messaging different people um and then also like finding out about people in like places where there's big climate movements or less big climate movements through these conversations sort of like one spread 
spring to the next, spring to the next. Um, I think it was important that we spoke to people who take activism in different ways. So like we spoke to some like really incredible, like big activists who are like leaders of movements, which is obviously like so inspiring and incredible, but also wanted to like say to our audiences that um, that's like one way to be an activist and that's an incredible way to be an activist, but also like you can make a small, you can do one thing that might seem small or be a smaller, but like a different part of a movement. Um, and that's still important. And that like activism looks different for different people. And that like, there, there are so many intersecting injustices um, as a result of the climate emergency or, or in relation to the climate emergency. Um, and that, that for, for those reasons and so many others that there's like people, people have to take their activism in different ways um, and wanted to make sure that we had and shared a variety of and, and learned from a variety of different activists who are practicing their activism in different ways. Does that make sense? Does. Just going back to the formation of the company, because from what I understand, you existed before 2018, but 2018 was when you guys decided to become car, like Carbon Neutral and to focus on that. Yeah, so I wasn't uh, part of Pigfoot when it originally uh, formed. So B, who's my co-director, uh, formed Pigfoot at uni um, and then when they were in the final year at uni in 2018 um, they were like gonna they knew that they wanted to make a show about climate uh, about the climate crisis and I think that's probably because it was like B has always been like super engaged with um, climate climate um, issues but I think obviously it was like really in the air at that time um, and they were doing a show in like a big like mid-scale regional theatre um, and during tech um, the technician said do you mind if I just turn the lights off here it's just there's like they have a big energy use and have a big impact on the environment and but in that moment he was like if we're making a show about the climate crisis we can't have an impact on the planet whilst doing so um, and then in the process of making that show How to Save Rock which was our first show um, there was like a realisation of like the urgency of well, not a realization like understanding the urgency and the impact of making climate theater um and making theater and the theater industry more broadly more sustainable um and the, so then sort of committed to making all our work as sustainable as possible and all of our work about the climate crisis um i think when i joined the theater company in 2019 um it was because i was always like interested in environmental action and wanted to find ways in which I could take environmental action um, and yeah sort of work against the climate crisis and and love theatre and want to make theatre want to be a theatre director um, but never really understood how the two could com combine and I really remember a beef like me trying to fly a bee in like 2017 in Edinburgh um, and her being like do you want to just take a photo because uh, we're just trying to like not start in this campaign called take a photo campaign um, and just don't want to be taking all these flies and I was like wow that's so cool she does not remember it all um, oh. and when I met B, it was just like match made in heaven and was oh like, <laughs> but it's so lame she was never looked back <laughs> um, and it was like a really exciting opportunity for me to combine those two parts of um my brain and like what I wanted to do um yeah amazing well I think it's time for our final question Natalie unless you've got anything burning that you wanted to ask Katie okay so apart from the world <laughs> yeah the world is burning um great <laughs> lovely um Hetty, uh, thank you so much for your time chatting to us for the Vandal Factory podcast. 
what song would you like us to play on East Leeds FM? I feel like it's probably really, really expected, but um, Hot in Here by Nelly. It does get a feature in the show, so.
Excellent. I loved meeting Hetty. What a ledge. What a ledge. I'm excited to see the show. Yeah. I'm going to be partying. Yeah, partying yeah. at the whole And we shall uh, no doubt catch up uh, and share our reflections. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Thank you, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, well, there's nine others yeah. that are all up on uh, the usual spaces. We've got a playlist on the YouTube, um, not the YouTube, on the YouTube, on the Spotify, yes. uh, which is all the songs that you've heard if they're on Spotify. Yeah. Um, so you can relive your favourite bangers over and, dare I say, over again. But please get in touch and let us know if you've listened and what are your favourite bits and ask us questions and correct us when we get things wrong and tell us your opinions we would really like to hear from some listeners we are on vandalfactorytheatre at gmail.com and uh, yeah we're only a little podcast so share it with your friends tell your pals come on come on on. good show some solidarity why don't you guys guys. yeah well Ten more episodes. Yeah, ten more episodes. Ten more episodes. Ten See more years of friendship. Later. Mm, I'll, I'll have to check my diary. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely little joke there from Natalie Quatermass. Music, reviews, chat, poems, comedy. Writing. Interviews. EFM. It's radio for so much more. That's funny. Do it again. (laughs) (laughs) What is that the banger of the hour? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that good?